Scripture reading this morning will be taken from Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, and chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. That can be found on page, pages 795 and 796 in the Pew Bibles. That's Hosea 1, verse 2, and chapter 3, 1 through 5. That's 795 and 796. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land is committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, Then the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and one-half homers of barley. And I said to her, You shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man. So too will I be toward you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. And again, if you're visiting with us, we welcome you. Did you enjoy shopping? Maybe some of you actually think that a relaxing afternoon would be going over to the Opry Mill Mall and just walking about shopping. Others of you say, well, that's not really my style of shopping, but I'd love to go to an estate auction or maybe to an antique auction or a car auction or a horse auction or cattle auction. Somebody else says, well, I, I like more of maybe going to a flea market or to a garage sale. Perhaps all of us here have done some form of shopping. And you know what it is to come in at the end of the day and face the rest of the family or peers or friends and say, hey, look what I bought today. Can you imagine the look on individuals' face when Hosea went shopping that day? You know how word spreads when one spouse is unfaithful to another spouse. And it was probably already rumored that their second and third child was probably not his. But it's implied here that he took care of all three of them as if they were his. And then she starts going from man to man just for the gifts that they can offer. But then eventually the gifts run out and the places to dwell apparently run out and it appears that she's become a bond servant to someone, creating a debt. And you can imagine how word has gone all throughout the community, everybody that knows them. Isn't that a shame what Gomer has done to Hosea? And God tells him, I want you to go shopping. Lord, what do you want me to buy? I want you to go buy 
your wife. Amazing story of God's grace. You see, as we consider this minor prophet Hosea, his name itself lends toward salvation. It's the same root of Joshua or even Jesus. And when we look into the context, we look for the life of this man, and it doesn't give us a lot about his family or his heritage. But he does seem to write as an insider instead of an outsider. And his story is a story of heartbreak. And when we go deeper into that story of heartbreak, it even breaks our heart more because we realize not only has this woman betrayed her husband, but then we realize in a sense we represent that woman. How much does God love us? He loves us so much that He would embrace us, but then as mankind we would turn our back on a faithful God. And then He loves us so much that He would go out and He would purchase us with the life of His own Son. And so it's a story of heartbreak of of Gomer and Hosea, but it's a story of heartbreak. Have I really done that to my God? Yes, there's not a person here of accountable age that hasn't broken the heart of God. And in this story, friends, if you and I can see what Hosea went through for Gomer, we can learn more about what we and even Israel's relationship to God the Father is all about. By way of introduction this morning, let's look at the names of the three children because that somewhat sets the stage as we try to give just a glimpse into this entire book this morning. When we look at the name of Gomer's children, and notice there we we put Gomer's children because only the first one that we know of was conceived by Hosea and Gomer. And when we read in verse 4, we read that the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel. Jezreel means God will sow or God will scatter. And then that we see a second child born in verse 6, and her name was to be called Lurahama, Lurahama, which meant no mercy, no pity. And then the third child was born, and his name was to be called Loami, Loami. His name was to be, you are no longer my people. You see, as these three children were born and named, the story of Israel was unfolding from God. And that was God telling them, I'm going to scatter you. And it will appear as I scatter you this time that there's no pity and no mercy in my being. At this time, you'll not be called my children. Now just a note here. As we work through this lesson, we're going to come back to the end where God is actually saying to them, I'm going to draw people back to me. And so it's not that God has given up on humankind, but it's that we can literally place ourselves in a position where God has nothing else to do but to allow us to be scattered, to allow us to leave that right relationship with Him. Friends, we're studying out of a book that's 14 chapters long, so I trust you can understand that in this lesson, we can't even look at something out of each chapter hardly. But if we could just paint a picture from three different verses to see what these individuals were doing, 
How is it that they were leaving God? Turn with me, if you will, to Hosea, the fourth chapter. As you're turning there, I want to remind you of the picture of Israel of that day and time. If you and I were to just take a scenic tour of Israel in that day and time, we would see a beautiful place of prosperity. You see, on the surface, we would not walk through there and say, this is a country that is destitute. They're in trouble. Oh, shame on them. I feel so sorry for them. But on the surface, we would look at them and their prosperity. Remember, Amos has already addressed these people, and he addressed them somewhat sternly. But now Hosea comes through, and he embraces them somewhat with a tender heart, and we can understand why all that he was going through. But the point is this. Underneath what might be the first glance, we would become aware of the fact that they were becoming very immoral. The truth is, God in this analogy would be describing them as spiritual adulterers. They were leaving their right relationship with God and they were marrying, if you will, idols. And it was destroying their nation and God was warning them what they were headed toward. And we'll look at that phrase in just a moment. But let's look and let's notice the first thing that, that was an identifying factor that was causing them to be on the wrong road. Hosea, the fourth chapter, he says in verse 6, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you from being priests for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Now let's notice here at least three facts that we can learn from this passage. Number one, back in verse 6 at the beginning, he says, you're destroyed, why? For a lack of knowledge. How powerful is knowledge? You know, that's a pretty common expression today that knowledge is power, and it is. But we have to accept also the other side of that coin. And it is that when we are ignorant, we are powerless. We're losing out on something very important. Romans, the first chapter and verse 16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God and to salvation. Friends, our lives can be empowered because we can be empowered by the will of God when we know God's will. And it's such a dangerous way to live not knowing God's will. How much emphasis do you place upon God in your life? One way to gauge that and measure that is to say, how much do I want to learn of God? You show me someone that says, I don't really care to learn a lot about God. I just want to live for God. I'll show you somebody that don't really want to live for God. We can't say, I'm serious about my relationship with God, but I don't want any knowledge of God. Here, they said, we're rejecting you, God. And God reminds them. Now, friends, I know this may seem a little bit harsh from what we usually study in the Word of God. But we read some very straightforward passages here and God says, okay, you want to reject me? I can reject you just like you can reject me. And then we see that summary there where He says, keep in mind, when you do forget the law, not only is it going to affect you, but it'll affect your children also. Friends, we're living in a nation where we are enjoying many of the benefits of generations that have marched on before us. We're living in a nation that's over 200 years old. Think of things that happened back 50, 100, 150, and 200 years ago that we still enjoy the blessings of. The sacrifices, the commitments, the decisions, 
that generations before us have made. You and I are directly affecting things in our family right now. As a nation, we are affecting future generations of this nation. And to think that we live not only an island to ourselves, but even in a time capsule where time stands still for us and the decisions we make won't affect our children or they won't affect our grandchildren, it's wrong. It's wrong. And so here a nation that things look just pretty good if you glance at them at the surface. Hosea is trying to get their attention and saying, don't you realize it's not going to look so good for your children and your grandchildren. What you're seeing now is an environment where God still had an influence upon this environment. But what are you going to have when God has no influence upon an environment? Oh, the warning that He gave them, don't be ignorant. Let's look to the fifth chapter and let's see the warning against pride. In Hosea, the fifth chapter, let's read verse 4 and 5. He says, They do not direct their deeds, now note this phrase, they do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst, and they do not know the Lord. The pride of Israel testifies to His face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim stumble in their iniquity. Judah also stumbles with them. Notice this passage in verse 4 begins by talking about their deeds are not done toward God. Their deeds aren't toward God. How many times have we talked with individuals and they kind of uh, bow up their back at the fact and say, I don't want to talk about what things lead to. I'm tired of hearing what everything leads to. Odds are that probably struck someone here this morning. Odds are someone here has said that this past week. Odds are all of us have said it sometime in our life. Friends, this morning I need to hear God. God says it does matter what our deeds are directed toward. For every decision in life, there are consequences that's placing us on a path. You remember when Abraham and Lot, their flocks multiplied so greatly that the Shepherds begin fighting each other, and Abraham, being the godly man that he was, says to his nephew, you choose one way and I'll choose the other way. Let's be family. What a sacrifice for family. What a love and a commitment for family. And you remember Lot looked over those Jordan plains, and he says that he pitched his tent toward Sodom. And then you read just a few chapters later, and what do you find out? You find out that he's sitting in the midst of it. Why? It started with a decision that said, I'll go toward Sodom, and it ended with a decision, I'll live in the midst of it. Wise people are always willing to hold themselves accountable and say, what kind of path am I on? If I continue to make decisions like I'm making right now, where will this end up? It takes a lot of honesty. It takes an open mind to say, I'm headed somewhere. Am I headed toward God? Or am I headed in a direction I don't need to be traveling? Also, we see here that because their direction was not toward God, they could have pride in the very presence of God. And apparently there was no shame to them. Can you imagine that? A pride and an arrogance that would stand in the face of God headed in the wrong direction. And what did it lead to? It led to them stumbling in sin. 
Look with me, if you will, now to Hosea the 6th chapter. Hosea the 6th chapter. We're going to see the instability that was taking place in their life. We've looked at the ignorance. We've looked at their pride. And what did this cause? Just the opposite of steadfastness, of faithfulness, of what God calls us to be. He says here in Hosea the 6th chapter in verse 4, O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? O Judah, what shall I do to you? For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew, it goes away. Any parent can identify with this passage. How many times we parents say, what am I going to do with you? I, if I had a dollar for every time I've heard my parents say that to me, what, what am I going to do with you? It's that frustrated feeling of we're giving it our best and you just don't seem to be getting it. What follows here is not a compliment at all. He says, you know those morning clouds when you get up and if you just were to put your eye on a cloud, before the morning passes, that cloud would already be gone. He says, you know how when you go out in the morning and you have that fresh dew? Before the morning passes, that dew is already gone. He says, Israel... That's about the way you are in faithfulness. You're with me, and before I can even turn around twice, you're against me. You see, they were turning to idolatry. And of course, idolatry was tempting to them, because oftentimes in our mind we think, well, who would go and just worship a stone? But you see, this stone gave them the right to do all kind of fleshly things. And so they wanted to be a part of religion that entertained them. They wanted to be a part of religion that fulfilled their sensual temptations. They wanted to be a part of religion that lent itself to human philosophy. Because actually what it is, it was the people becoming their own God. And so here they have the Almighty God in heaven that they could bow to and they could submit to. Or they had all kind of idols over here that in a sense, in their religion, it was saying, come do whatever you want. And you've got an excuse. You've got a reason. Just do it in the name of religion. And they fell for it. And they found themselves being everything but faithful. They were married to God. And they went out and played the role of a harlot. Let's go back now to Hosea, the first chapter. And let's read verse 10 and 11. As we're reading this, we're going to turn from here and look at a couple of times in the New Testament that this was fulfilled. And we say, what's the answer for these people? Could anything come out of all of this, even for mankind, for the human race? We're reading in the first chapter in verse 10, he says... Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There it shall be said to them, You are sons of the living God. Then the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together and appoint for themselves one head. And they shall come up out of the land... For great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brethren, my people, and to your sisters, mercy is shown. If you'll notice back up in verse 10 where he talked about that there will come a day where he said, you're not my people and you're the sons of the living God. When did that take place? 
Turn with me, if we will, to Romans, the ninth chapter. In Romans, the ninth chapter, Paul is working here in trying to show the position of the Jews and how they had struggled and had not been faithful to God. And then, to summarize all this, with a system of belief or a system of faith that says, through Jesus Christ, all are called to be one with Jesus. Let's read in Romans, the ninth chapter, and in verse 24. Even us whom He called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, as He says also in Hosea, I will call them by my people, who were not my people, and her beloved, who was not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. And if we skip down and we read into the 10th chapter, the 10th chapter would begin with the warning of them being so zealous or so excited about God, but not having a knowledge of God. Now think how this all ties in. That's what was happening to them back in Hosea. They had an excitement for God, but then they had no knowledge of God, and then it led into idolatry. Now in Romans 9, he reminds them of that relationship that they struggled with. And now he goes into the 10th chapter and he says, you have a zeal for God, but not a zeal for the knowledge of God. Well, what is a zeal for the knowledge of God? If we're really going to learn of God, we have to learn of His Son. And so that's where we read in verse 4 where he says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And that's why when we read on through the rest of verse 10, we read about confessing Him. We read about believing with Him in our heart. We read about the need to have preachers that will preach His message. In other words, Paul is saying, when we're excited about God, we'll be excited about Christ and about His salvation and about His law. Now think about this for just a moment. What was the answer? The answer was to look to Christ. And we'll also see, as we go back to Hosea, the third chapter in verse 5, which Jeremy so capably read for us earlier, in the third chapter in verse 5, I want you to note here the prophecy that concerns Jesus Christ, and because it even refers to the latter days, it's inferring also the church here. Hosea, the third chapter in verse 5, he says, Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God, and David their King. They shall fear the Lord and His goodness in the latter days. Here there's two great ways in which Jesus is referred to here, as He's referred to the Lord their God, and David their King. And when was this going to happen? The latter days. Not under the first dispensation of time, that was the past. Not under the present dispensation of time here. That was the mosaical age. It's going to be in the last dispensation of time. It's going to be in the Christian dispensation of time. In Acts the second chapter, what did Paul remind them of? He said the things that were said were going to come to pass in the latter days. Here it is. It's the latter days and they're coming to pass. What did he speak about? He spoke about Jesus of Nazareth. That's the Lord. That they need to call upon His name if they wanted to be saved. What text did he go to? One of the texts that he went to was the Old Testament to talk about the throne of David and the fact that Jesus was really the one sitting on the throne of David, offering salvation to the world. Now friends, I've just led you through one of the longest introductions you'll ever hear in a sermon, and here's the conclusion. 
Here is a nation of people that are acting like harlots, but yet they had been married to God the Father. And God says through naming the children, I'm going to have to scatter you. I'm not going to show mercy and pity on you right now. I won't even call you my children. But as a human race, I want you to look to that day when I'm going to gather the Jews and the Gentiles. And I'm going to set a Lord, the King of David, Jesus Christ, on a throne. And Christ and the church is going to be the answer. Friends, I don't know what kind of battles each of us have had individually, but I can tell you this. Christ and the church is still the answer. There may be some of us here this morning, we are sad to say, I feel a whole lot like Gomer this morning. I've sinned against my God. And I don't know what to do to make it right. Christ and His church is still the answer. Please realize there's no one here this morning that's gone too far. That's out of the reach of God's grace. But he can't be found anywhere else except through Christ and experienced as living in his church. This morning, we're approaching a week of election. Many of us would look and say, What could we do to help America? Christ and His church is the only help that America needs. Maybe we look at our families and say, I I just want us to have the family that we ought to have. Christ and His church is all our families need. We look at ourselves individually and say, I just want to get myself on track. Christ and His church is the only answer we need. Friends, this morning, there's been an auction sale. And God redeemed us. He paid the price of His Son. And we can choose whether or not to accept the gift or reject the gift. But if you want salvation, there's only one that's paid that price. It's God through the blood of His Son, Christ. And He's established a place for the believers to exist. And it's in the church. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, I'd urge you to do that this morning, turning your life to Christ, being baptized into Christ. If you've been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way, you've separated yourself from what God wanted you to be, The only answer is still that first answer of Christ. And that's the beauty. He invites us back. He knows we struggle. He knows we make mistakes. And He wants us to come back home. This morning, I want to close with the first phrase in the book of Hosea. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Where did a story like Hosea and Gomer come from? From a man that listened to God's Word and lived out the analogy 
to show us a glimpse of how wonderful God's grace is. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.